Hello and welcome to the 2010s. I'm your host, Nathan, and today we have on Preoccupations. Over the last decade, Preoccupations have made some of the most steely, nervy, and anxious post-punk in the world, and their newest album, Arrangements, fully heel-turns into a gothic and dark wave format that absolutely fits their apocalyptic visions, and yet also underpins everything with a certain pastoral catchiness that's absolutely wonderful to listen to. We sat down and talked to them today about arrangements here on the 2010s. So I had read in some previous interviews that you had said, despite the distance and different cities y'all had been in, that this was like felt like a surprisingly easy record to record. Did it feel like you let go a little bit of perfectionism because of the distance and just said, we're going to see what happens? Or was there something else that made it a little bit easier? Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, I I think that when you only have a finite amount of time to do a thing, it kind of it closes some of those doors that we might have left open on previous recordings. Um, you know, it's like we have two weeks to just do everything, so we got to like do as much as we possibly can. And you know, we we always overshoot, we always record too many overdubs, and whatever, but you know, just in case we might want to use them at some point. But um, I feel like the last record, it was kind of this sprawling thing. We kind of worked on it for, you know, a good part of a year, I would say, um, in many different studios. And this is kind of the first one that we were able to use our home studio kind of to its full extent, um, which was nice. And it, it's kind of like a well-oiled machine now. We kind of know how, how to get the sounds that we're after. So it makes it a little quicker in the process. How often do you think limitations of time boundaries or just general limitations actually help the songwriting or creation process? I like the middle line somewhere in between. I don't love having a hard deadline for a record label, but if it's a, a self-imposed deadline, that's kind of a different thing, you know? Yeah. You're doing it for, doing it for yourself instead of someone else. So I think when it's when it's us making the deadline, then uh, I tend to, to work harder to, to reach it, you know? Yeah. So considering aforementioned distance between y'all and home studios, has this record felt different so far realizing it live as compared to the other records? Yeah, we're having a good time with it, honestly. We're our set right now. We're just playing the entire new record start to finish and then we play some, some old stuff after. So I feel like we're starting to settle into it. We're about two weeks into tour, maybe maybe almost three. Um and we're getting there. It's it's hard when you're recording something and not really thinking about the fact that you need to play it in front of people at some point. <laughs> we're settling into it now. I think they're, they're starting to sound more and more like the records. We're getting a little bit more comfortable playing them. Were there any particular moments from the record that as you were rehearsing or playing live, you were like, oh, we're going to have to do something different or shift something up? Oh, always. All the time. I mean, it's, it's really hard when you know, you're recording something using a sequencer or a drum machine, and we're not doing any drum machine or anything like that live. So it's it's kind of harder to lock things in, um, especially between bass and drums, I find. But uh, we're finding it. We're finding the groove. I was going to say, you, you did the majority of the vocals alone on this as opposed to in a studio with other folks, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of the one thing that we did take time on. Um, I think the plan was for me to go back to Montreal 
and then pandemic stuff hits and all that and we kept kind of kept pushing it back and then i was like okay i'm kind of tired of waiting so i just went for it and kind of enjoyed the process um i just go in in the morning and work on work on it all day so i feel like i got to uh I got to say what I wanted to say this time. I feel like in the past, maybe the vocals were sort of an afterthought or the lyrics were just kind of whatever I had at that moment. So I feel like this time around, having the extra time to refine everything was was useful. And I, I enjoyed the process, whereas in the past, I, I usually don't. It's just kind of like, okay, I got to sing now. <laughs> Uh, well, I was also going to say you're singing while playing bass. I mean, that's your you know role. That's what you do. The, did it change things for you? Just not having to think as much about what you're going to play at the same time as you're singing, or did you take that into account? No, I didn't at all, and I kind of shot myself in the foot with that because now I'm having to do that. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's hard. It takes it takes uh, just repetition, repetition. I got to do it, you know. 50 times to the point where I'm not thinking about the bass playing and I'm kind of just letting it happen. It's just kind of a, turns into a machine arm kind of, and it just does it. And then I can kind of focus more on the singing, which is kind of the most important part of the, the show, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, you guys are also going in the post-punk tradition of the bass is a very much a melodic instrument for y'all while you're also singing. So you're almost thinking of two different melodies at once. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's it's when I when I hear someone like Phil Linnett from Thin Lizzy do it so effortlessly, it's it's pretty impressive. Um, just knowing how, how difficult it is. Like he, he's singing behind the beat always and like that kind of stuff. So he's definitely someone I look up to for that for, for inspiration. Getting my shit together. <laughs> Obviously, all of this was, or the majority of this was written pre-COVID, but is still, at least lyrically, some of the music, very anxious album. Uh, Ricochet, for example, if I'm not, you know, mis misinterpreting, there's uh, some deep climate change anxiety there. And I, I was just wondering about how much of this record is kind of unconscious worries that you just have to live with day to day, suddenly bubbling up in your day to day life, like you're just going to get a cappuccino or whatever, and then you're suddenly thinking about global warming. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't think that I, I mean for it to be that, uh, that blunt and ham-fisted, but it's definitely creeping in in the old brain, um, for sure. Although I don't think anything's changed. I, you know, from this record to to previous records, I think I've always kind of, kind of written about similar things. Just the the day-to-day -day anxieties, you know, just being alive in this insane world. Um, yeah. So that's usually, it's it's my outlet for all that. It tends to keep me a little bit lighter. As a human, it's kind of kind of my church, you know? I don't, I don't do the religion thing, so music is where I let it all out. Well, I was going to ask if sometimes sinking so deeply into some of these anxieties and worries, whether it becomes poisonous or if it's pure catharsis for you. Oh, for me, it's absolutely catharsis. It can be... It can be poisoning. Um, you know, you get into a cycle where something's not working, and you kind of beat it into the ground, and you you don't have um, you don't have a way to kind of withdraw from it, and you get obsessed with it, and that, that's when it can kind of get a little bit poisonous. But um, I I am getting better, I think, at 
um, putting my foot down when something's not working and, and then just moving on to something completely different, just scrapping it all together. I was going to ask, as you know, a professional touring musician, how do you set up boundaries for yourself to make sure you don't kind of get into that that area with the art where it becomes wallowing? Um, it's tough. I mean, it's with recording, it's it's a little bit easier because at the end of the day, I you know I usually go sleep in the same bed for a chunk of time, and you know, there's nowhere necessarily to be at eight a.m. the next day. Um, sure, it, it gets tough. It's it's pretty uh, mentally and physically exhausting, as I'm finding um, a little more so now that I'm, you know I turned forty last year, and I, I was like, oh yeah, tour is hard. It's been a while since we've done a a, a really serious grind of a tour. Um, so yeah, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it, but I feel like we're kind of uh, through all the shit and coming out on the other side. It's, starting to gel really nicely and we're starting to kind of just let things roll off our back which is which is kind of the key not care too much but just care you know just enough <laughs> yeah i mean i'm just thinking back to the record Viet Cong. you guys have some very combo physically and emotionally demanding songs i'm thinking of silhouettes and death in particular um yeah and like how over time maybe that's the relationship with those songs have changed not because of time, but also because those are, I would imagine, such emotionally draining. And I know because I'm a bass player, that's a pretty uh, physically draining song as well. Yeah, it's just, you know what it is, I think, is we're just kind of out of shape with it. Um, you know, it's one thing rehearsing, but you're not, you're not, uh, the pedal's not all the way down when you're rehearsing, and it is definitely when we're playing live. Um, it kind of has to be, otherwise there's no point in doing it, I don't think. Um, so yeah, it's, it's taken a couple weeks, but I feel like we're all feeling okay. My hands are working fine. They're feeling strong. I got insane callus going on my fingers. Did you get the, the, any of the blood blisters when it was first coming back? No, no blood blisters yet, but I've got like a thick leather on my fingertips right now. I think, uh, I could chop off about a half an inch and, it would, it would be fine. I don't think you'd draw blood. <laughs> um, I was going to ask more on the lyrical side. I, something that like kind of felt like a, a through line is on fixed bayonets and on advisor lyrics of coping mechanisms. And then later, I don't have the goddamn mechanism. I can't find the appropriate device to make you feel more alive. I was just wondering if that's kind of searching for something beyond yourself to help yourself and others because you feel like it's not within you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the um, don't have the goddamn mechanism and all that. And I, it is about like friends who, who've killed themselves in the past couple of years. Um, there, there have been a few. And it's just about that. It's that hopeless feeling that you get where, you know, there's obviously nothing that you could have done, but um, it's hard. It's hard to bring yourself to that conclusion take takes a while yeah because that's the thing about grief in those situations you always feel there's always that nagging feeling of like could i've done something but you couldn't which is leads to paralysis like it's an awful feeling yeah yeah it is it's it's the worst and it's it's normal it's very normal that's how how everyone goes through it um but it is very frustrating i think frustrating is the the main feeling there was, there was another one that I was wondering about. There's, 
I'm trying to see how to put this because I have some lyrics up and it was just this like everybody wants to forget about everything little thing they hate begin we're all on board to fall apart and then the other one which is the selling teeth shirts at this crucifixion I don't know I just kept getting images in my mind of kind of seeing a mob mentality form around you and feeling very isolated and pushed away and alienated by the emotions of people around you. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. I think for sure. Um, I think the mob mentality is very true and that's just something that you see everywhere now, especially in in politics. I don't like to be overtly um, political with the lyrics or anything or with the band, but it's, it seeps in there. Um, I was just going to ask on the composition part as well, despite, you know, tons of anxiety throughout the record, but there are these moments that just burst with like so much beauty. I think the main riff in Ricochet is gorgeous. And then the second half of Recalibrate just shifts into those synth guitar arpeggios. I was wondering from, you know, from the writing songwriting perspective of trying to pair some of this anxiety with really gorgeous moments where that came from. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's about dynamics, and I I don't like I don't like when bands are, are too one notes where you can't really differentiate one song from the last. Um, so I think we're always conscious of trying to break songs up. That's something that we've always done, where it's it could almost be two songs, you know. Um, and I love the process of trying to join two ideas together that really don't have anything to do with one another. Um, that's kind of like a a test in the studio always um but i love i love doing that kind of stuff well on that note it's you know advisors kind of the centerpiece of this record it's the longest song and there's a massive switch in the middle of that song from kind of more ambient soundscapey to post-punk and how did that song come together was that two songs that you kind of said well maybe we can make the keys work or the emotional through line work yeah, I mean, it started with Danny sent me this voice memo um, of him drunkenly recording synths in the middle of the night. And I was like, oh, I could turn turn this into something. And I was listening to a lot of Spaceman 3 at the time, and I, I really wanted to just do something with simple chords. Um, and I wanted to do something in 3 also, so it all kind of came together. Um, and then when we were recording in the studio... I started playing this other bit and I was like, it's got to turn into this. It just has to. We just got to find the way to get it from A to B. You had to connect the dots out there, but you had to make sure that everything connected properly. Yeah, exactly. A lot of it is, is uh, you know, on the spot in the studio, just random ideas. Those are those are the, uh, the best parts when it just kind of clicks. And that one for sure did. It, was, it came together actually really quick. I was wondering when y'all were releasing singles, Death of Melody was actually the first one I heard. Um, And I was wondering, that's like one of y'all's darkest songs. And I was wondering why that came out so early. Was it just to like make sure people knew what they were getting into emotionally content wise, or was just like an important song for you to get out early and make sure it was a well-defined centerpiece of the album? No, it was, it was more, setting the tone i think there was some fights over which what we wanted to to come out first and i just kind of liked how that one it, it sounds very pretty it's very very lush um but the content is is very very dark which i think is 
kind of the theme of the record. Um, I was actually re-listening to cassette a lot this week alongside the new record, um, and especially Unconscious Melody. And I, you know, probably just a coincidence, but I found it funny. It was like, here's the first, you know, Preoccupations tape has Unconscious Melody, and then the newest one has Death of Melody. Yeah, definitely trying to, to draw some parallels in there. Um, for sure. Because Unconscious has always been a song that I thought was an interesting, you know, at least my interpretation, an interesting view of like writer's block and almost getting to a song you have in your head, but not being able to get there. And then Death of Melody, the best version of myself is nothing to write home about. is almost like having to get rid of a song, Killing Your Darlings. And I, I just found that interesting as a parallel. Yeah, it's very, very much what it is. I mean, the, that first tape, we were, we were kind of figuring it out. I wasn't really super developed as a songwriter. Um, so it was basically just a literal interpretation of what I was feeling at that particular moment in time. Was there a conscious thought of like, oh, this needs kind of a sequel? Like when you were, was that in lyrics or did it, would it come in music first? I think that one, Death and Melody was lyrics mostly already written before I had kind of uh, written the song. I was definitely pulling from from some old stuff as well. Um, I've just got one last question, and it was about the last track, Tearing Up the Grass. Outside of why it's not all uppercase, which is just like a little question, <laughs> not a real question. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think that I, it's, it's like an understatement or something. I guess. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I don't know why we chose to do that, but. I was just wondering if it was a quote. Yeah, it was a quote from somewhere or something. And then the other part is. The, you know, towards the end, it goes, the place we're looking for isn't on the map anymore. I was wondering if that's a physical place or if that's like kind of a nostalgic, you can't go back to some place because it only exists in your mind. Yeah, it's about like, you know, driving to your childhood home and it's condos now, you know? Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> that can be a brutal feeling. Yeah. I know. I know. But it's it's everywhere. Every city is, you know not just the city you grew up in it's pretty much everywhere which makes it kind of a very empathetic everybody's felt this but in a very specific way yeah that's, that's exactly what i was going for huh well that's that's all i got for you man i um really appreciate you taking the time out and i was going to say again like more from the fan perspective, I've loved this record and I've been playing bass to Preoccupations records for a couple of years now and they're super fun to play bass to. So thanks. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, we're going to start doing, I think for the next big tour, we're, we're putting together a tab book. <laughs> so we've got sick. like an old school, like Hal Leonard tab book. I want it to be like the ones you can get at the guitar store, you know? <laughs> 